0: Okay, um, hopefully this will work, and everybody can hear me? We're good? Thumbs up? Okay, sounds good. Let's. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're getting toward the end of our series, going through 2 Corinthians, and the name, the title of this book is The Strength of Weakness, and we come to the place in the letter that that we drive that title from. It's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, and we'll read through 1210. We'll start right at the beginning here, um, where Paul starts to talk to us about the strength of weakness. We'll try to figure out what that means. Paul writes, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus The one who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Paul's rivals are talking about their strength, and they are talking about Paul's weaknesses, And what Paul ends up doing then is not boasting about his strength, but as he comes to chapter 12, he ends up actually boasting about his weaknesses. He recounts his escape from Damascus as a case in point. The king's governor had posted guards around the city to seize Paul when he left. And Paul escaped when people who were loyal to him lowered him in a basket from a window in a wall. Now, if you then marched into Damascus or were planning to march into Damascus um, with instructions from the high priest uh, to exact an official mission, uh, you had a lot of pride as you marched into the city, but this is not... A very prideful point. Paul is being let down out of a basket through a wall. Uh, such an escape is hardly something to boast about. Hiding hiding in a basket is not something that someone with power would do. He continues to sarcastically critique boasting. He talks about visions and revelations from the Lord. What he says, chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting which man may not utter." One thing we know about the Corinthians is they loved displays of spiritual inspiration, and Paul's rivals were quite ready to feed the Corinthians appetite for spiritually thrilling visions and revelations. Their accounts of supernatural revelations gave a boost to their authority, and they were not shy about proclaiming them. Paul is very reticent to speak about such things. He doesn't recount the amount of visions and revelations that he experienced, but they were significant. He didn't believe that recounting one's mystical visions would do anything to build up the community. And in his opinion, it only served to build up the ego of the one recounting the vision and therefore he was very careful to do that and it makes sense history is littered with the tales of people who have seduced and deluded followers by claiming to have some mission or some from some divine vision paul calls attention to a particular time 14 years prior at the beginning of his ministry when he had visions and revelations from the Lord that he was not allowed to talk about, that it was not okay or permitted for him to speak of. The reason he recounts this particular vision is because it resulted in him being given a thorn in the flesh, which ended up being something that caused individuals to look down at Paul. Uh, And it's interesting when you think of private spiritual experiences or mystical visions, uh, certainly they feel compelling, and if you have one, it feels important, but they're not valuable, really, for the church, because they cannot be adequately communicated by, to others. that's one of Paul's frustrations. He could talk about the vision, but he really couldn't talk about what he was told because it wasn't he wasn't allowed to talk about it. Private heavenly revelations create a division between those who are blessed with those kind of experiences and those who aren't. Uh, Paul notifies them that the thorn in the flesh which is this evidence of weakness that was the outcome of this vision of these revelations. He talks about it in verse 5. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it that it should leave me. It's possible for one who has this kind of experience to feel kind of elevated in his own eyes or in the eyes of others in order to keep Paul. And it could be either from being lifted up in his own eyes or lifted up in the eyes of others. Either way, a thorn was administered to him by God The idea of a thorn, it has the idea of something sharp and painful which sticks in the flesh, and it could be physical, but not necessarily so. A thorn, a messenger of Satan in the Bible, can refer to a physical infirmity. Here's what it says in Luke 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And what Jesus does, he heals this woman, then is castigated for doing so. And when he is defending his actions, he says, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. So with respect to that culture, and when you think of Job as well, Satan and his influence is associated with physical infirmity, pain. You think of Job, boils, and all the things he dealt with. But the opposition of the work of Satan could also be Expressed by opposition from individuals. Um, It says in Numbers 33 55, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. Whether it was a physical infirmity, or the opposition of individuals, Paul asks God repeatedly to take it away. He appeals to God. It's easy to miss the significance of this action on Paul's part. It's easy to miss the miracle. He gets to a place where he is either sick or, I think it's probably more so, that he is being opposed by individuals. And what he does, he expresses his distress to God. He talks to God about it and asks God to remove it. Think about the way we normally respond to pain, and especially to insults or persecutions. When somebody speaks to us or treats us in a disrespectful manner, when we are treated harshly, it is very natural for us to blame someone. Some of us naturally blame ourselves. If somebody criticizes us, we assume I must have done something wrong. Some of us, we don't blame ourselves, we blame others. If somebody's criticizing me, they must be wrong. They must have done something wrong. Um, But we end up blaming somebody, Paul ends up talking to God and asking him to take this difficulty away. It might seem easy to do, but any of us who has dealt with difficulties, whether they be physical or especially relational, it's very difficult To escape the blame game and come to God and express the pain of what we're going through and ask God to help us deal with the pain, take it away. It's very difficult to do. How could Paul then do this? What was it about him that allowed him to express his distress to God? And again, when you think about it, think about individuals in the Bible? Well, think about the wilderness wanderings. What God wanted them to do when they were in places where they was distressed, he wanted them to talk to him about it. But what did the Israelites in the wilderness do? When they came to waterless places, they were wanting different types of food. Did they talk to God about it? And the answer is, No, they grumbled and they complained. They grumbled against Moses and they complained about their mistreatment. The thing they didn't do, they didn't talk to God about it. I'm suggesting that that is a very difficult thing to do. It is very normal for us when we are suffering to assign blame. It's very difficult to come to God as a sad, distressed person and express that distress to him. Why was Paul able to do this? I want to suggest there's a couple things that Paul was able to touch that allowed him to present his distress to God. He connected with God's sovereignty and he connected with his sympathy. Connects with his sovereignty, it talks about a messenger of satan. And when you when we run into satan in the Bible, he's usually he's described in one of two ways. Sometimes he seems God's adversary to lure people away from God's rule, kind of God's enemy. But frequently in the Bible, he comes as almost somebody dispatched by God to implement trials that God authorizes. Think about what happened with Job. Satan was not God's opponent. He was God's proxy that on God's behalf implemented trials. Um, When Paul says a messenger of Satan was given, the assumption is that God is the one who gave it. Paul sees Satan like Job did. Implementing trials that God authorizes. It would have been possible for Paul to become focused on rebuking Satan, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't demand that Satan depart. He doesn't deal with Satan directly because he understands Satan is not the one pushing the buttons or pulling the strings. Where Paul goes with it, he lifts up his distress to God and deals with God, not directly with Satan. If Paul did not have a high view of God's sovereignty, he might have become embroiled in a him-against-Satan opposition, and that's not what Paul did. He expressed his needs to God because he understood ultimately God is the one who cares for me. God is the one who is in control. And when I am distressed, I need to present that distress to him. I need to talk to God about what I'm dealing with. Paul understood that because God is ultimately the one who is in control. Paul was able to express his distress because he was connected with divine sovereignty. I'm going to suggest there's another thing, though. He was not only connected with God's sovereignty, he was connected with his sympathy as well. And I believe it takes both of those things. If God is great, but not good, it's going to be hard for us to share our heart with him. If he's good, but not great, it's going to be hard for us to share our heart with him. It's It's hard to share our heart with somebody who has big shoulders, but not a big heart. It's hard to share our heart with somebody who has a big heart, but not big shoulders. We don't want to crush them. We don't want to inconvenience them. For Paul, he understood that God has big heart and big shoulders, and for that reason, when he comes to be distressed, he's able to express that distress to God. Again, he was aware of divine sympathy in verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, I'm going to suggest that it's hard for us to miss the miracle here. The miracle is for someone who is chronically distressed, and that they could repeatedly lift that distress to God and ask him to take it away. Um, The terms he uses to describe the thorn, they really do seem to favor the view that God, Paul's thorn was opposition. He experienced hardships, insults, persecution, and calamities. Those things sting. It's hard to be rejected by people. It's hard to be disrespected by them, persecuted by them. This is what Paul experienced, and I believe that could well be what he describes when he talks about the thorn— it was painful, not only physically he had he was whipped a number of times, but it was also painful emotionally. Um, again, the ability to express distress rather than blame ourselves is difficult to develop. Um, why did paul why was Paul able to do again, I think there was a sense he understood the sympathy. God's sympathy. What ends up happening when he was on the way to Damascus the first time, in Acts 26, it says, About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. We've talked about this before. Jesus shows up and Paul is on his way to Damascus to beat up Christians. This is before he had become a Christian. Jesus then asked him this question, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, And then he answers the question, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads are like thorns. They're pointy things, like thorns or stakes. And what Jesus identifies in Paul, and I believe the Jesus is gentle here. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Let me tell you why. It's hard to kick against the goads, And I think what Paul identified in Jesus, Jesus was saying to Paul, Paul, I know exactly what that feels like. I know exactly what it feels like to be insulted. I I understand exactly what it feels like to be persecuted. I understand exactly what it's like for people to always be pursuing you and rejecting you. And I think what Paul experienced from Jesus was something that I don't think he ever forgot. I think he experienced Jesus' sympathy. When I think about sovereignty, I think of God the Father. His big shoulders, he's in control. When I think of sympathy, I think of God the Son. Jesus, because he was embodied like I, like we are. He understands sadness and cold. He understands persecution and insults. And what he says to us, I believe, is that I sympathize with your weaknesses. I understand what it's like to be insulted and disrespected. I understand what it's like to be in pain. The thing we don't understand. Is that when we're insulted and disrespected, it's very isolating. And I think what Jesus does then, did to Paul and would do to us, he sympathizes with our weakness. And what he wants you to understand in your pain, that the Father is not only sovereign, but the Son is sympathetic. And he wants you to understand that. I see your pain. I felt your pain. You're not alone. Why? is it necessary to touch God's sympathy? Let me tell you why. Because sympathy surfaces sadness. If somebody is strong, but not sympathetic, you might take their advice, but you're not going to open your heart to them. What I want to suggest is this. God not only has big shoulders, he has a big heart in Jesus the Son. And when we understand that, It allows us to move away from blame. Now, this is very difficult to learn. Over time, as we touch and become more aware of his sympathy and his sovereignty, it allows us to move away from blame towards expressing our distress to him, like Paul did. Um, And I think this was important for Paul because, frankly, if the thorn is oppositional, Paul was that thorn to many Christians before he became a Christian. His ability to be able to connect with the sadness that lived inside allowed him, I think, the freedom to be able to embrace God in a way that he he could not have had he not learned to bring his sadness to God. I've said this before, it's hard to touch sad and to touch God's hands at the same time, to touch God's promises. It's hard to touch sad. It's easier to use mad, bad, and glad to bury sad. In order to touch sad and communicate it to him, we have to be connected to not only God's sovereignty, he's in control, but his sympathy, he understands what it's like to be hurt. And Paul says, just to close, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I am weak, we can experience strength in weakness, weakness that allows us not to eliminate problems, but to endure them. But in order to experience the strength I'm going to suggest that we not only connect with what we're going through, but we connect with the sovereignty of God and the sympathy of God, because connecting with sovereignty and sympathy allows us to present our needs to him on a daily, ongoing basis. That allows us to endure the tension created by discomfort rather than eliminate it. When I am weak, and I learn to express my needs to God, then I am strong. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for having big shoulders and a big heart. You're not only great, you're good. You're not only good, you're great. You're sovereign and in control. Nothing touches our life. There's difficult things that touch us virus and there's, there's physical things and material things, and you understand we go through these things, and you would have us bring our needs to you. You would have us learn to speak freely with you. Not only do you have big shoulders, you have a big heart. Jesus, you understand because you are embodied. You understand what it's like to experience these things. Thank you for sympathy and sovereignty and for the strength we can experience in weakness as we touch both of those things. In Jesus' name, amen.